Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. This morning, I want to continue uh, talking about how we mix faith with the Word of God because it is a vital part of our daily walk with God, learning how to uh, enact or activate the plan and the purpose that we find in the Word of God. We recognize it's not automatic. It's not going to just happen because the Word of God says it belongs to us. We've got to do our part to connect and to authorize it to have its operation in our life. And faith is that connection. In the same way that for us to be born again, we had to believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. Romans chapter 10 says that that we believed in our heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead. It says that with our mouth we confessed him as Lord because with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So that is the same process or the same pattern, if you will, that we use for every provision that is ours already provided by the covenant. It is ours legally, but it's not automatic. And so we bring our faith to it to bring it into manifestation. We bring the believing of the heart and the confessing of the mouth. We've got to mix faith with the word for it to profit us. And I want to read um, a prophecy that was by Kenneth E. Hagan from 1974 because the Lord, through this word, identified faith in an interesting way. He said, I'm coming for the spiritual giant that's alive and living and working the works of God. That's talking about the body of Christ, the church. He says, and through the church, the head will manifest himself. And men are the hands of the Lord, and the hands are in the body. And he shall stretch forth his hand to heal the sick, that signs and wonders shall be wrought in the name of the holy child Jesus. And two things shall shortly be made manifest unto the real people of God. One is further light and teaching and revelation in the area and realm of healing. Praise God, physical healing, divine healing, that will be the key that will unlock the chain that has bound so many and they will never more be the same. And then there shall come revelation, further light, according to the word concerning the miraculous and the part that faith does play. The miraculous and the part that faith plays in the miraculous for faith is like the fuse that ignites the dynamite that's what i wanted us to look at the the spirit of god through this man of god identified faith as a fuse that lights dynamite he said faith is like the fuse that ignites the dynamite and when the explosion goes off 
all can hear and see. But there was a fuse that had to be lit, and faith is the fuse. And you will be able to stand and take a blackboard like a teacher teaching mathematics and write out the equation and come up with the right answer. He's talking about faith. He says you'll be able to write out the equation and come up with the right answer. And any man or woman, boy or girl, standing or seated in that congregation will be able to take that equation translate it into the spiritual realm, and their faith will ignite the power of God. So he's talking about faith being explained in such a way that it is easily applied by every person who hears it. Mature and even people who are not at a mature stage in their development in Christ will be able to apply the concepts of faith, the principles of faith, and ignite the fuse to the dynamite power of God, the dunamis power of God. He said faith will ignite the power of God. So he's just now called the power of God the dynamite that he is referring to. And that's what we know dunamis when Jesus stopped in the crowd where the woman who had the issue of blood had reached out and touched him, she touched Jesus and Jesus said, Dunamis has virtue, the King James says, but if you look it up in the Strong's Concordance, it's the same word that Acts 1.8 uses when Jesus said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes on you. You will receive dunamis power. You will receive explosive, mighty, miracle-working power. After that, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that's the word Jesus used when he said, virtue has left me. Dunamis, someone drew on power. Someone accessed power. Someone flipped the switch to the power supply, and they got. there was a whole crowd of people who didn't touch the power. They were touching Jesus but not touching the power. Well, Jesus said, your faith has made you whole. We know the power of God went out of him, but if she had not had faith, the power of God would not have gone into her. It was the faith that ignited the fuse to the dynamite power of God that brought into her life wholeness. He said, your faith has made you whole. And so this which says your faith will ignite the power of God. And they, he's talking about all of the people who can easily apply faith because of the revelation that comes to explain faith in such a way that everybody can take it home and put it to work in their lives. He says they will have an explosion in their home and in their community and in their church. It will be popping here and popping there. It will be popping here and popping there. It will be popping here like popcorn. Have y'all ever put popcorn in a pan or even in the microwave? It doesn't all pop in one one pop. Let's say, for instance, there are 50 kernels, 100 kernels in the pan or in the bag. They don't all 100 kernels pop at the same moment. All of them are getting, reaching the right heat at different times. And so it'll pop, 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 pop. And then there's pop, 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 pop,
Why? Because one's getting faith and popping, and one's getting faith and popping, and then three back there get a hold of the faith and pop, 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 pop. Hallelujah. He's saying that we will all be able to have access to the understanding to work faith in such a way that when we need to access the power of God to heal our bodies, we know how to light the fuse. When we need to access the power of God to bring an increase in finances in our life, we know how to light the fuse. When we need to access the power of God to, to, and light the fuse where our children are concerned, we know how to do it. Amen? And there'll be popping and popping and popping as we activate the power of God with our faith. We've been looking at Hebrews chapter 4 and we've been identifying uh, the mistakes that the children of Israel had made when they came out of Egypt so that we can avoid those mistakes. We can learn without having to do them. We can learn how to avoid them by understanding what they did wrong. And I want to go actually to Hebrews chapter 3, and let's just review a couple of the scriptures that we've looked at previously in this teaching. If you would like to go back and listen to or watch the previous ones, they are available in our podcast or on our YouTube channel, or uh, if the Roku channel is, is uh, updated, it will be on there as well. Hebrews chapter 3 Let's begin in verse 8. It says, Harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Provocation. What does the word provocation mean? Well, he explains that, that comma and then that prepositional phrase following the comma explains the word provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me. So, so they weren't being tempted. They were tempting God. <laughs> they were, they, he says, they tempted me. They proved me. And they saw my works 40 years. So this, he, he is using this word provocation to explain they provoked me. Don't harden your hearts like they did when they provoked me. And, you know, have you, ever, have you ever been provoked? Have you ever been, you know, maybe when you were a kid, somebody was a bully and they came up and shoved you and looked at you like, what are you going to do about that? Maybe if you've ever played basketball, you've been provoked on the court. Right? That, that, okay, so that's a good example, Right? They, they provoke you, and they'll, they'll, they'll try to get all, up all over you, you know, and, and like, what are you going to do about that? You know, with attitude, and they're just inviting you. They're inviting you, and, and that's, what, that's what God called their response to him in the wilderness. They were continually defiant. They were continually complaining. They were continually disagreeing with God. And he said they provoked me, and he said their hearts were hardened. Now let's look at verse 10. He said, wherefore I was grieved with that generation. And I said, they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. We've been doing a teaching on the television broadcast called Teach Me 
and lead me. Why? Because Isaiah 48, 17, God said, I am the Lord who will teach you to profit. I will lead you by the way you should go. So he is setting himself in the position to teach us. We have to take the role of student. We, he is setting himself in the position to lead us. We have to take the role of follower. We need to become excellent students of God, learning his ways. I want to know what God thinks about this. I want to know his way of looking at this because his way is right. His attitude about it is right. His opinion, if you will, is the only right one. And so I've got to learn those ways. He said that they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And it wasn't because God lost his temper and said something wrong. He was explaining, you cannot enter into the promised land in unbelief. The only way the promised land will work for you is for you to be in faith. <laughs> Why? Because there was a lot of adversities they had no power to overcome. They needed God to win the victories in those different cities. They needed the hand of God upon them. They needed the favor of God. They needed the leading of God. They needed God on their side. But they spent all that time in the wilderness and never got on God's side. And so God said, they shall not enter into my rest. And verse 12 is talking to the New Testament believer. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart. Now, you and I would immediately think evil heart is a sinful sinner's heart. Somebody who is thinking evil thoughts, somebody who is uh, thinking murderous thoughts, someone who is thinking lust-filled thoughts or, or, or things like that. But God calls unbelief an evil heart. It says, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. So I see two things here. Unbelief in the mind of God is evil. Why? Because, you know, like, like Pastor Jim said over the offering, it's not an obligation, it's a choice. But it would be wise to choose honoring God and tithing because the option is starving and struggling and, and being without his blessing. So sure, you can choose to say, I don't, I don't want to be a tither. I'm not, not going to tithe. Okay, you've made that choice. And, and God said, you shoot a hole in your covenant when you do. So that there's not the protection that should be. All of the things he lists there in Malachi 3 aren't going to happen for the person who chooses not to tithe. They will not have the devourer rebuke for their sake. So what, what are they going to have? The, devou the devourer, the seed eater running rampant, eating up their new tires. I mean, running over something with that new tire you shouldn't have never run over. Things breaking that shouldn't be breaking. Things falling apart that shouldn't be falling apart. Things be being stolen from you that should never be stolen. Why? Because that person chose not 
to tithe. <laughs> and that's what you get by default if you don't choose. The, it's like God said, choose today, life or death, blessing or cursing. Choose life. You don't want this. You don't want. That is not for you. Don't go there. Choose this one. This is for you. This is good. And so they were, they were hardening their heart and departing from God by refusing to believe him. It wasn't that they couldn't. It's that they wouldn't. It was their choice. Because God was merciful. By the time he, they finally reached the place of fullness in refusing God, he had already demonstrated mercy ten times. He had demonstrated his provision time after time after time. He had pre presented to them his faithfulness Time after time, his miracle working ability, his ability to protect them. He protected them from Pharaoh. He delivered them from Pharaoh and the Egyptian armies. He protected them when Pharaoh and the Egyptian armies came after them. He protected them from the snakes. He protected them from the heat by day. He protected them from the cold by night. He provided for them food. He made water come out of a rock. Out of a rock which is a representation of our rock Christ Jesus. God provided for them supernaturally. Hallelujah. And they had abundance. They had a supply. They had an abundance uh, of, uh, they had, had fullness. What they, could, what they needed to be full. Glory to God. But they continually chose not to believe. Instead of rehearsing how God brought water out of the rock and how God's been putting manna on the ground every day and how God had provided the quail, instead of rehearsing that, and whenever they started feeling any hunger pangs or feeling any, any unrest, they started complaining. God brought us out here to die. It would have been better for us Listen to this. It would have been better for us to be back in Egypt with the flesh pots, the leftover food that the Egyptians didn't want. It, we want to go back to the leeks and the garlics. God says, I've got milk and honey, and you want leeks and garlic? There was no thankfulness. I tell you what, one of the greatest lessons I have ever learned in my life is to develop and cultivate a life of gratitude. Amen. If I ever start to feel sorry for myself or begin to think about the difficult thing or that I might be facing that day, I just stop and I begin to thank God. And when I begin to thank Him, it shifts my attitude. It changes my perception. Hallelujah. That, that gratitude is a, a, a perfect way to humble yourself to God. Because what you're saying is, thank you, Lord. You have done something for me that I could not have done for myself. Thank you, Lord, that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Thank you, Lord, that you washed me 
by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you have given me this day. Thank you, Lord. I tell you what, you get, you, you get aggravated at your wife or your husband, start finding something to be thankful that, about them. Start, I'm telling you, start being thankful because the enemy would love to get us focused on, on whatever it is that is bothering us or whatever it is that we're dealing with in life or whatever it is that, 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 that doesn't look like it is perfect or whatever. Start being thankful and it will totally alter your perception about the situation. And they never did. They never had any gratitude for what God was providing for them. They should have been thankful. Instead of complaining about manna, hey, I didn't have to do anything but walk outside and pick it up. I didn't have to grow it, didn't have to weed it, didn't have to, to put you know, a fertilizer on it. I didn't have to do anything to get this. I, all I had to do is walk outside and there's the provision of God. Hallelujah. So that attitude of thankfulness will protect us from unbelief. It will protect us from having a hardened heart. And it also says here in verse 13, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So we've got to remind each other how good we really have it. We've got to keep our focus on the goodness of God and how he's made a way, how he's brought us out. We've got to count our blessings day by day. We've got to rehearse the things God has done for us. And, and when we exhort one another, we're saying, we're, we're, we're giving that exhortation. We're telling what God's done for me. We're reminding what God did for you. Hallelujah. And then it said, for we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your heart as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all they that came out of Egypt by Moses. Verse 18, And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. And I, I shared with you before that one of the translations of that phrase, to them that believe not, is to those who were non-persuadable. That unbelief was their refusal to be persuaded. Do you know that Abraham became fully persuaded? But we know in Genesis chapter 15, he was not persuaded. He said, what do you give me seeing I go childless? God said, what? Childless? Childless? Who told you you were childless? He, he had to be persuaded. And how did God persuade him? He gave him a visual image. He said, count the stars and as many as those stars be, that's as many as your descendants. Count the, the grains of sand to a man who lives in the desert. Count the grains of sand. Why? It's innumerable. You can't even count all the stars. Innumerable. He says, 
I want you to be persuaded, so I'm going to give you a visual picture of what I've said about you. This is how it's going to be. And they were, and he was persuaded. It said he was fully persuaded and giving glory to God. Hallelujah. Fully persuaded. These people were not persuaded. Look at chapter 4. Let us therefore, verse 1, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. In other words, he's saying, be on guard about this. Take this seriously. Make this an emphasis in your life. There should not be any promises that we fall short in. Does that make you think of Hebrews chapter 6 where he says, I don't want you to be, be negligent or one translation says lazy. Just move over to chapter 6 and look at verse um, 12. The King James uses the word slothful. 6.12, be not slothful negligent, lazy, slow in responding, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So God is telling us that he doesn't see receiving promises as optional. He's making it mandatory for us to be a receiver of the things he's provided for us. Why, why wouldn't he want us and expect us to receive of the promise that he has made available? All of the provisions. The promise is the promise of the blessing. He, he identifies it here in chapter 6. He specifically says the words of the blessing that we are to be diligent to receive. Surely blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply you. He wants us to obtain that. He wants us to obtain that. Amen? Okay, go back to chapter 4. So this warning here in chapter 4 that we should be diligent not to fall short of entering into something God has made available to us. Verse 2 for unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. And I'm going to stop there. The word preached did not profit them because they didn't do anything with the word preached. They heard it, and, and we know he said back here, they heard it and still provoked God. Some, when they had heard, did provoke, 316 said. They heard it and provoked God because they didn't do anything with the word they heard. Yeah, I heard God say that, but I still think we ought to go back to Egypt. Yeah, I heard God say that he has a land for us that flows with milk and honey. But he's brought us out here to die. We'd be better off to go back to Egypt. They heard it. But they didn't mix faith. 
with what they heard. Only two out of that entire multitude of people, Joshua and Caleb were the only two who had a different report in their mouth. They were the only two that said, we are more than able. We can do this. Come on, God is for us. They are the only ones who had what God had said in their heart and in their mouth. The other people heard God say it, but never, never owned it. Never made it personal. Never brought it into their possession. Hallelujah. Let's go back to Proverbs 4. And let's get some wisdom. Proverbs 4.20. My son, attend. Give attention. Focus. Attend to my words. Incline your ear unto my sayings. Keep the, let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. That's where God wants them. He wants his words in our heart. And if we've got his words in our ears and his words in our eyes, we will be successful in keeping his word in our heart. The word in the heart is life unto all those that acquire, attain, and hold in possession. That's what the word find means. The word find means acquire, attain, and hold in possession. So it's not coming across it one time and then two weeks later, I don't know where it went. I know that verse was in here somewhere. I need to find that. Where was that? I hope I highlighted it. Right? No, 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 no. I'm holding it in my possession. I didn't let it slip. Does Hebrews chapter 2 warn us that it's possible to let things slip? He said, we should give more earnest heed. Hold your place here in Proverbs and go look at Hebrews. Because we are working on something here. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. And that word, let them slip, that phrase means to pass by like a a boat that was once anchored to the dock, but the, the line has come loose. And with each wave, it just floats away farther and farther from the truth that it was once anchored to. Said, so for us to be able to maintain and hold in our possession, we've got to give earnest heed to things we've already heard. To give earnest heed, I wonder just out of curiosity how the Amplified reads that phrase, the more earnest heed. Not something new. I don't need something new every time I, I come to church. I need to, to have earnest heed for the things I've already heard. We ought to pay much closer attention than ever to the truths that we have heard, lest in any way we drift past them and slip away. Hallelujah. 
did John the Baptist hear directly from God when he said, the one who sent me to baptize told me that when I see the Holy Spirit descend and remain, that that one is the Messiah, the Christ? He said, today I declare before you all, this is the one. I have seen the Holy Spirit descend upon him and remain upon him. And the one who sent me to baptize told me to look for that. He is the Christ. And then a few chapters later, he is sending his disciples to ask Jesus, if you, are you the one or should we look for another? Did he let it slip? Did he let it slip? If John the Baptist, if John the Baptist can let something slip that he receives supernaturally in a divine, a divine revelation from God, if he could let it slip, how much more do we need to get more earnest heed to the things we have heard from God? Hallelujah. The thief comes to steal. Wayside soil is soil he can steal from. He can't steal if you've got your attention on it. Remember Matthew 13 says, if anyone hears the word of the kingdom and understands it not, they've lost that mental focus on it. They've lost that spiritual understanding of it. Hallelujah. Then the enemy can come and steal it. He can't just come and steal the word from you anytime he wants to. If you're holding it in your possession, he can't take it from you. Hallelujah. So God said, attend. Attend to the words because the words are life unto those who hold them in possession and health to all their flesh. It's life and health. What I'm holding in, of the word of God in my possession, in my heart. I've got to have it in my heart. And then he says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of your heart are the issues, the forces, the flow of life. So we put the word in and then out of our heart, we're, we're living by faith. The just shall live 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 by faith. I mean, scripture has it in there four times. I thought I might as well. Go ahead and repeat it a few times. The just shall live by faith. In other words, the just shall live out of the word in their heart. And God said they were erring in their heart and refusing to believe. But if I've got the word in my heart, faith is produced by the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If I've got the word in my heart, I can believe. I am a believer by nature because I'm born again. Believing is my nature. It's easy for us to believe. For us to be people who are not believing, we have had to put the wrong seed in. We have to be putting diesel in the engine instead of gasoline. Unbelief comes as a result of seeds of unbelief, just like faith comes by seeds of faith. If I want to harvest a faith, I put seed of faith in my heart, and it's going to produce a harvest of faith. It's easy for me to believe that by his stripes I was healed, 
because I feed on that scripture. It's easy for me to believe that he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement necessary to obtain my nothing missing, nothing broken was laid on him. I feed on that so I have it in my heart to access it when I need it. I don't wait till I need it to go put the seed in. If you're hungry, you need more than a seed at that moment. If you're hungry, you should have already planted before you got hungry. You should have recognized the wisdom is to put the seed in and grow the harvest and go pick it and, and can it. Put it in the counter. Put it up on the pantry so that when I get hungry, it's already there. I don't have to go put the seed in and start the whole process. I've already went through that whole process and it's there ready for the eating. So the, the same is true with our faith. Don't wait till you need faith before you go put some in your heart. If a person waits, not you, if a person waits until they're under physical attack or financial attack before they go start putting the seed in, they've got to have a, an, a supply to help them maintain because they are using that as fast as it comes in. There's no storage. There's no supply. There's no provision. There's no, nothing stored up. But if I'm storing up the word, if I'm storing up, confidence in the healing power of God, if I'm storing up confidence in the blessing, if I'm storing up, hallelujah, I'm glad that God has had us storing up about the fact that he's our provider. I'm glad that God has had us storing up that my God shall supply all my need. God's supply comes way before need so that when I pull up to the gas pump, I'm not concerned. I don't, I don't even care what the price is, regardless of what the price is, I need gas in my car, but my God shall supply. So I'm not going to post about the price. I'm not going to tweet about the price. I'm not going to, to no, the, the, the price is not my issue. My God shall provide. He shall supply. Hallelujah. We've got, we've got a stronghold of the word of God as our provider. That stronghold is a safe place for us. So I'm not moved. God can, I'll tell you, and I know pastor used this, but I heard it and I told him and he told y'all. But Oral Roberts, Oral and Evelyn were, it was back in the 70s when there was a financial crisis going on and gas crisis going on. And there were other things that had risen in price. And she said, Oral, the price of bacon has gone up to $4 a pound. I guess I'm not going to get any more bacon. He said, woman, the same God who could, who could supply dollar bacon can supply $4 bacon. Go buy that bacon. <laughs> Praise God. And the same God who can supply the gas at whatever price it was two years ago, one year ago, he can supply it at whatever price it is today. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. I'm guarding my heart. I've got a stronghold of God as my provider in my heart. I'm not going to feed on, on things that make me fear the gas prices or fear inflation or fear whatever. Hallelujah. 
Oh, the Lord is good. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 4.13. 2 Corinthians 4.13. We, having the same spirit of faith. We have the spirit of faith. Say that. I have the spirit of faith. Say it again. I have the spirit of faith. We have the spirit of faith. And he's going to identify how the spirit of faith worked. According as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. What we believe will come out of our mouth. If you ever find yourself uttering things that you know you shouldn't be saying, I'm not talking about cuss words. That's a no-brainer, right? I'm talking about if you find yourself saying, I don't know how I'm going to pay this. Go ahead and put your hand, do what Proverbs chapter 30 says, and put your hand over your mouth. Let me, let me give you the scripture for that. Proverbs 30. Hallelujah. Put your hand over your mouth because if you've thought something that is the wrong thought, you sure don't want it coming out of your mouth. Amen. Don't let it out of your mouth. Verse 32, Proverbs 30, 32 says, If you have thought evil, lay your hand upon your mouth. If you have thought evil or doubt or fear or unbelief, lay your hand upon your mouth. Why? Because the way the spirit of faith works is if you believe in your heart and you declare with your mouth, it will be done to you. Hallelujah. We having the same spirit of faith, we believe and speak. Well, we don't want the wrong thing getting in our mouth because if it gets in my mouth, it's going to get back into my heart because faith will come by hearing and fear will come by hearing. Fear comes by hearing just like faith comes by hearing. Fear comes by hearing the report of the problem. Fear comes by hearing the evil report. Fear comes by hearing the evil report. That's a revelation for somebody. I'm just helping you. I'm just letting you realize. If you wondered why you've had fear in that area, go back to what you've been listening to and identify that and, and say, I'm not going to listen to that anymore. I'm not going to let that be deposited in my ears and in my eyes so that it gets in my heart. Because fear comes the same way faith comes. It comes by hearing. And it is a spirit of fear just like we have the spirit of faith. It says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he's given us power, love, and a sound mind. He has not given us the spirit of fear. He's given us the spirit of faith. And so we need to guard that. We don't want anything. We don't want to put diesel in our gasoline engine. You know it'll blow it up. It will not work anymore the way it should. 
So we have the spirit of faith. We believe and we speak. Proverbs 18, 21. It's a familiar scripture, but I want you to look at it. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Not just life. Death is also in the power of the tongue. Life is in the power of the tongue. But both of them are available. That's why we choose words of life. We don't pray the problem. We pray the desired result. God said whatsoever things Jesus said. Whatsoever things you desire when you pray. He said bring your desires to pray. Not your problems. Don't bring your problems and talk the problems and rehearse the problems. Or you're going to build faith in the problem. He said look at the problem and decide what you want. Look at the problem and come to me with the desired result that you want. Come to me and pray your desire. Why? Because when you pray your desire, you're going to build your faith in that. That's the image that's going to be transmitted. That's why some people go into prayer and they pray the problem and they come out of prayer feeling worse than when they went in. And it wasn't because God transmitted something to them that made them feel that way. It's because they never connected with the answer. He said, whatsoever things you desire. Why? Death and life are in the hand. The word power is the word hand. Death and life are in the hand of the tongue. So don't, don't reach out with your spiritual hand and take hold of death. That's what the children of Israel did. They said... God brought us out here to die in the wilderness. It would be better off if we were dead. If God just made a grave for us here in the wilderness. It would be better. They, they were continually speaking death. The negative of the situation. They're both in the hand of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. If you love life... You're going to eat the fruit of it because you are constantly speaking words of life. Hallelujah. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah 1. I'm moving too fast. Hold your place here and back up to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, and let's look at God's process of words. I want to begin in verse 8. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So up until this moment, we are talking about ways and thoughts. God says, my thoughts are higher. They're not yours. They're higher. Like the heaven is higher than the earth. My ways and my thoughts. And then in the next verse, 
he begins talking about a visual image. He's giving us an illustration. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and it doesn't, it doesn't, drops of rain don't fly back up to heaven. Right? Those drops of rain have fallen into the earth, and then it goes into the earth, and then it will come back up through evaporation after it has gone into the earth and caused whatever seeds are in the ground to grow. So you can even have times in the desert that have gone months and months and months with no water, and you don't see any evidence that there is seed in that desert, any living seed in that desert. But then it will have a rainy season in that desert, and rain will come, and flowers, beautiful flowers blooming all over the desert. Why? Because the rain came. And, and that rain caused forced productivity in a place that had been available for productivity. It had, the seed was there. It was in the dirt. It was in the, the, the soil, the sand. But it never grew until the water came. And he said, as the rain comes down, the snow from heaven, it doesn't come back up in snowflakes and raindrops, but it waters the earth. And, the, and it makes it, forces it, it causes it, 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 um, it dominates that productivity. It makes it bring forth and bud so that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And that illustration in verse 11 is his word. He said, the word is the rain that comes down like raindrops, that comes down like snowflakes, and it forces productivity in the places where there is seed in the ground. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, void, useless, not having produced its effect. It will accomplish what I want, what I please. So the word of God is going to produce the will of God. He said the word will accomplish my will and it will prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. And that word prosper is an interesting word because it means to push forward. It means to break out. It means to come mightily against. To go over or cause to prosper. So he said, my word, when you send my word out against a difficult situation, it pushes that situation. It slams into that situation. It, it comes and it pushes that situation and pushes it and pushes it until it pushes it out of your way if you're continually applying the word like that. It comes mightily against. It breaks out. If you're in a situation of, uh, that's holding you in bondage to something, the word can break you out of debt. You're going to have to operate the wisdom of God and not be spending more than you're making, but it will work if you will take the word. The word of God will break out and come mightily against 
whatever is holding you back in your life. Hallelujah. That's how God's word works. And that's how he wants his word to work in your life. He wants his word working for you that way. He, he wants his word coming out of your mouth so that it is coming mightily against the situation. So that it is breaking out of that thing that's trying to hold you back or hold you down. So that it is causing you to go over and to prosper over that situation. Hallelujah. So this is how God's word works to change situation or to direct situations. Jeremiah, let's go there now. Jeremiah 1 and beginning in verse 5. Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you. And I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. Then Jeremiah said, O Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, don't say that. Don't say that. Say not, I am a child. For you shall go to all that I shall send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. So this first part of the scripture where it says say not, that word say is the Hebrew word that means to bring to light or to bear forth. And it can include to say to yourself. Hallelujah. He said, don't bring that to light. What I say introduces that into my situation. When I say it, I am introducing it into my situation. If I say, my God shall supply all my needs in the face of a difficult financial adversity, I am introducing the power of God into my situation. I am applying the power to it. Hallelujah. Just like the woman with the issue of blood said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I shall be whole. I shall be whole. She continually kept saying that to herself. I shall be made whole. So what was she introducing or giving light to? I will be whole. What was the children of Israel bringing to light? God brought us out here to die. Gloom, despair, agony on me. That's what they were singing. They, they were the ones who originated the hee-haw blues. Those children of Israel. They got everything. They got God protecting them. God providing for them. God leading them. God loving them. And they think the worst of him. God brought us out here to die. What, what, no wonder that he was provoked. So, excuse me, didn't I just feed you all? Didn't I just protect you? And you think that about me? I, I think I just brought water out of a rock. And you're, you're, you think I brought you out of here to die? What? 
Do you see how they were provoking? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What you speak, you, you bring forth. You bring it to the light. That's why we've got to put our hand over our mouth if we're thinking something negative. If we're thinking something contrary to what God said, put the hand over our mouth and go put our face in the light. Put our face in the light and say, no, no, that's not how it is for me. I'm always going over and never going under. I am not alone. God will never leave me. He will never forsake me. God cannot lie. He is faithful to keep covenant to a thousand generations. Hallelujah. The second part of this verse, he says, whatever I command you, you shall speak. And it is a word that is similar to what we find in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, when it says, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed. Means to arrange or subdue. This word is very similar to that. It means to command, to arrange, or to subdue. And it comes from the root word that means to set something in order. To arrange in an orderly fashion. So when things are out of order in your life, you are the only one authorized to give voice to God's word and set it back in order. Even if you have been the one to say things and bring things to light, like Jeremiah did, Lord, I cannot speak for I am a child. God will say, no, 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 no. You need to rearrange that. You need to set something different in place in your life. You need to set a different course. You need to set the rudder of your ship to go in a different direction. I want you to say, to arrange, to speak, to set in order with your words what should be taking place in your life. He said, whatever I, the words I, I command you, you will set them in order. And then he said in verse 9, The Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out to pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. How is he going to do all of that? With words. With God's words in his mouth. If there's something you need to root out of your life, you've got the word in your mouth to root it out. If there's something you need to tear down, it can be a phobia, it can be a fear of rejection, it can be something, the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. The word of God in your mouth will tear it down. Tear it down. It will root out. It will tear down. It will, it will destroy all of the things that the enemy has tried to, to, to build in your life. And then you can build and plant with the word of God in your mouth. You can build a strong marriage with the word of God in your mouth. You can build a, a, a stable finances with the word of God in your mouth. You can build and plant, but you've got to have the word in your mouth. Hallelujah. Anybody know what Joel 3.10 says? 
I bet if I, if I told you the first half, you could finish it. Let the weak say. Oh, what? Don't say. Don't bring to light what you feel. Don't bring to light what the present circumstance is. I want you to bring to light. I want you to set in order what you desire. Remember, pray the desire. I want you to set in order what is established from God for you. Let the weak say, I'm, I'm setting up a different order here. I am strong. James chapter 3. James chapter 3. Hallelujah. Verse 3. Oh, let's start in verse 2. If, for in many things we offend. In many things we offend all. That word offend means to stumble or cause someone to stumble. If any man offend not in word, the same is a well-developed, fully developed man or woman. So there are in many things, different things, we could, we could stumble or cause someone to stumble. But if we don't stumble in our words, it's a mark of maturity. It's a mark that we are developed and we are able also to bridle the whole body. Glory to God. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths so that they may obey us. What's the emphasis here? We're bridling the whole body. We are, we are not offending in word we are bridling the body. We want our body to obey us. We put bits in the horse's mouths so that they would obey us. And when we do that, we can turn about their whole body. A horse is a strong animal. A horse is, is a heavy, large animal. Some of them 1,500 plus pounds. But I can take a little two and a half inch, three inch piece of metal and direct that horse in the place I need it to go. Hallelujah. There are some horses. I had a horse named Hadassah. And she had, she was not trained right. And so she wanted to go where she wanted to go. And she, it was hard to steer her. So pastor rode her. <laughs> and I rode Hunter, which was originally his horse, but I ended up liking Hunter better. And so I would ride Hunter. And, and Hunter was young and he, he was, uh, uh, a good horse, but he was more responsive to the bit. I didn't have to put a heavy bit in his mouth. But I couldn't ride Hadassah without a heavy bit. And I didn't want to put a heavy bit because that's hard on the horse. It hurts them. And they will be always trying to pull their mouth away from that bit. So Pastor, just because he was stronger in his arms, he, would, he could turn her where he needed her to go. And so... 
just his, his more experience on a horse. He was uh, uh, on a ranch as a cowboy. Pastor literally was a cowboy for many years working with cattle. So he just had a little bit more experience with that hard-headed horse. But it showed me the difference because if I did, for me to ride her, I would have to put a heavier bit in her mouth because my arms weren't strong enough to, to steer her without it. Now, the other horse, he had learned easily. He, had, he had, had good training, and I didn't have to pull on him at all. I could just barely give a little nudge of that pressure on his tongue and even just a little bit of the reins over his neck, and he would start responding right away. Hallelujah. That... that Three-inch piece of metal putting the pressure on the tongue will give that animal the instruction and the impulse of how to turn, where to go, what to do. God uses this because we need pressure on our tongue. We need discipline on our tongue. We don't want our mouth loose. And, and directing us in the wrong direction. We want, we want to put the word of God in our mouth and train ourselves how to respond. He says in verse 4, Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet they are turned with a very small helm. They are huge Ocean liners, cargo ships are turned with something that in comparison to the size of the ship is very small. Our whole life is directed by the power of what we have in our mouth. Death or life? Death or life? If we are choosing the word of God and purposefully putting the word of God in our mouth, we are setting a course because God's word will produce God's will in our lives. But if we are allowing the news to fill our mouth, if we're allowing the problem, the pressure, the situation, the symptoms to fill our mouth, then it's directing us in a different way than God wants us to go. He says, even so the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindles. How great a matter a little fire kindles. The kindling in comparison to the full fire is small and insignificant. When you see a fire you're not impressed with whatever it took to kindle that fire. Whether it was just a match or a match and some twigs or a match and some, some paper, you aren't thinking about the kindling when you're looking at the fire. But the fire was started by the kindling. And there are things in our lives that were started by those little words, those little things that we thought were insignificant. But they're not insignificant. 
Some people think, how can I change my financial situation by quoting scriptures from Deuteronomy 28 or quoting scriptures from Psalm chapter 115? How can I change the, the, the financial situation or how can I change my physical body by quoting 1 Peter 2.24? It's not just a random quoting of my mind. I am putting the word of God, which contains the will of God and the power of God in my mouth, and I am activating it with my words. I'm bringing it to light. I'm setting it in order in my life. I am authorizing verbally what is permitted to be in operation in my life. Hallelujah. It is a step... That we can never come to the place where we say, yeah, I know that. I've heard that. I don't need to hear that again. Even, even though it's a concept we know and a truth that we are aware of, it takes the help of the Holy Spirit Reminding us, how long has it been since you said? I was believing for a certain situation. I thought I was believing. I told the Lord, Lord, I'm believing for that. He said, oh, really? I haven't heard you say anything lately. So if I'm believing, what am I doing? I'm not believing, I'm not con continuing the process of faith if, I, if I'm believing in the heart, but my mouth is shut. Because I believe, therefore I will speak. I need, I need the kindling. I'm working on a fire. I want a fire of strength in my body. I want a fire of health in my body. I want a fire of whatever it is that you're trying to, to promote in your life, that you're trying to, to bring forth in your life. How am I going to get it? You need some kindling. You need, you need to put the rudder in that direction. You need to put the bit in your mouth that's going to direct you that way. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Passion Translation says, just think of how a small flame can set a huge forest ablaze. A small flame can burn down a whole forest. Now, this can be good or bad. If I, if I want some debt burned down, I need to put some, the right flame in my mouth. If I want sickness burned out of my body, I need to put the right flame in my mouth. If I want lack burned out of my life, I need to put the right flame in my mouth. A, a small flame can, can burn that all down. Hallelujah. Glory to God. But at the same time, if I put the wrong flame in my mouth, I might burn down something that I'm not supposed to. And so that's why I want to be accurate with my words. I'm going to finalize this with Jeremiah 15. Jeremiah 15, let's look at verse 17. 
Now, when you hear this, I want you to hear that same complaining, whining sound that the Israelites had in, in this first part of Jeremiah's conversation. He says, I sat not in the assembly of the mockers nor rejoiced. I sat alone because of your hand. For you have filled me with indignation. Why is my pain perpetual and my wound incurable, which refuses to be healed? Will you be altogether unto me as a liar and as waters that fail? Therefore, thus saith the Lord, if you return, then I will bring you again and you will stand before me. And if you will take forth the precious from the vial, you shall be as my mouth. He's got to separate the precious from the vial for him to be able to operate the faith of God. Then you will be as my mouth. Right now, he's got some vial in his mouth, doesn't he? He's got some complaining in his mouth. He's got to take forth. He's got to, he's got to choose to only permit the accurate speech that is in line with what God has spoken. Hallelujah. If you will take forth the precious from the vial, is that what happened for Job? Is that what happened for Job? Did Job have to get his mouth right? Did, did Job say, I'm going to put my hand over my mouth now because I have said things I should never have said. I have opened my mouth and uttered things that I should not have said. And he, he prayed for his friends and he changed his mouth. Amen? And that's what God wants us to recognize. The importance of being disciplined with our words. The more accurate I am with my words, the more developed I am spiritually. He said in James, a perfect man, a well-developed man, if I don't offend in my words, and that means I don't use my words to criticize my brothers and sisters, I don't use my words to tear people down, I don't use my words to agree with the, with the report of the enemy. I'm guarding my heart. And part of guarding my heart is keeping the word of God as the rudder of my ship and the bit in my mouth. Amen? Oh, glory to God.